Well, grab your Bibles because as you know, we are making our way through an Old Testament study in a series called Running with the Giants. We're spending four weeks with Abraham, uh, who's one of the most famous people in the Old Testament. And our time with Abraham so far has taken us on quite a winding journey. We talked about Abraham being called to go. Last week we talked about Abraham facing a famine and in fear leading his family down to Egypt. And that didn't go so well. This week, Abraham faces a different test of his faith. And that test is called the wait. Now, we just don't like to wait in lines anymore. I mean, right? We really don't like to wait for anything anymore. Maybe in previous generations it had to happen. But in our day where microwaves exist and there's drive through and smartphones, we just aren't used to it and we just don't like it. Uh, so it was shocking for me to hear recently about a line. This was back in 2001. This may have been the longest wait anybody has ever experienced on the planet. Check out this picture. 70 million people waiting in line. This is in India. This is a real picture. This is not art. This is a real photo. And those bridges they're standing on are temporary makeshift bridges because they anticipated so many people would be waiting. And you're wondering for what, right? What would get people to stand in a line with 70 million people. What's the longest line you've ever stood in? Not that, right? The longest line I probably ever stood in was, was in Disney with our family. And it wasn't for the Dumbo ride and it wasn't for Space Mountain. It was at the end when after the fireworks were done, uh, they said, okay, park's closed. And everyone turned out, turned around and started exiting the park at the same time. That was the longest line I ever waited in in Disney. And I was holding my sleeping son the whole two-hour trip all the way back to the hotel. But hey, I got, I got it easy compared to these people. They said that this line was visible from space. What would that be like if you want to know how much longer the wait is, you had to consult like a satellite and have somebody tell you? What were they waiting for? Well, there's a Hindu holiday, is a mass Hindu pilgrimage called Kum Mela. And in 2001, 70 million people came. They were waiting to bathe in what they would refer to as the Holy River Ganges. In Hindu mythology, gods and demons at one point in the past fought over the pot of divine nectar that contained immortality or eternal life. And the gods ultimately, they say, obtained the pot of nectar, but they spilled four, just four drops of it back on earth. And where those four drops land, the Hindus consider holy sites, and this is one of the places. So they would say bathing in the holy waters at this particular time in this particular river, get this, is said to wash away your karmic debt, to cleanse you from sins. Hey, what are 70 million people waiting for? They are waiting uh, for a shortcut to spiritual liberation. Isn't that fascinating? They believe if only we could get in this river at this time, our sins will be washed away we will be spiritually liberated. Well, Abraham finds himself waiting, but he's not waiting in a human line. Abraham is waiting this week for God to do what God has already promised he was going to do. And it feels like he's been waiting forever. Hey, Christians, we must learn to wait patiently as God's promises unfold in our lives. It's really what we're here to listen to this morning. And if you're in a position right now where God has you waiting for something that you believe He really should have taken care of a while ago, 
you're going to learn from Abraham this morning. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Father in heaven, we know that you are good and that you are wise and that you are strong. But one of the tests you allow to come into our lives is the test of waiting. It may be the hardest test we can face. Father, help us to see through Abraham how you interact with us. Show us why we should wait. Show us how to wait. Show us what happens when we do and when we don't. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And uh, to catch you up, Abraham has already left his homeland. He's been obedient to go where God called him. In addition, he faced quite a trial last week when he hit a famine and he was afraid and he went down to Egypt and that didn't turn out so good because he ended up giving his wife over to the Pharaoh who married her. Uh, and then after a while, the Pharaoh gave him his wife back and said, get out of here. So he didn't do so well on the fear test. This morning, Abraham is going to face the waiting test. Chapter 16, verse 1, let's read what happens. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, listen very carefully, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, his servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her. She fled from her. When we read these stories about Old Testament people, do you ever think to yourself, how did they get in the Bible? Do, do you think that sometimes? Let me get this straight. The couple God chose to appoint to bring into this world salvation. He could have picked any couple. He picks the couple that... Imagine if they live next to you. Did you hear what happened in the neighbors now? No. What happened? I missed the latest. Oh, oh. Well, the wife told the husband to marry one of the servants. And so they did. And then he got her pregnant. And she had a baby. And then the wife didn't like that she got pregnant. So I saw her chasing the servant out with the baby screaming. And they got into this big old brawl. You would say probably right there, crazy. Would you say that? Do you have crazy neighbors? I've got a few eccentric neighbors, right? we got one neighbor who at the beginning of summer, he takes his shirt off and he doesn't put it on until fall comes around. <laughs> Once the shirt's off, for summer is here. Once the shirt's back on, we know fall has arrived. Okay, but what if these were your neighbors? And then what if God told you, yeah, they're the ones who are your only hope of one day getting into heaven. This week, they are giving us an example of what not to do. So jot this down. Hey, just wait, or things will get far worse. They're not waiting. They're rushing it, and things are getting far worse. 
Now, if you're a careful reader, you would notice that there are some parallels between what's happening here and what happened in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the original in the original Hebrew, you're supposed to notice some striking similarities to what happened in the Garden of Eden. For example, Sarai says to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Just as, just as Eve felt that the Lord was preventing her from this tree that would make her wise and good. So now Sarai feels like the Lord is the one standing in the way of this good thing. In addition, we're supposed to see that Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, meaning he obeyed what his wife was saying to do. And if you go back in, in uh, the story in the garden, it, when God shows up and yells at Adam, he said, you have obeyed the voice of your wife and done what is sinful. We're supposed to kind of pick up that this is a parallel. Uh, we're also supposed to notice that it says, Sarai took Hagar and gave her to her husband, uh, just as Eve had taken of the fruit and given it to Adam. All of this is supposed to make us notice this and say, uh-oh, this isn't going to a good place. It's, it's almost like the Scripture is saying, here we go again. They hadn't learned. Just wait or things will get far worse. And then we notice what happens when we refuse to wait. You can jot this down in your bulletin. We begin to blame God. We begin to blame God. She thought God was preventing her from having children. Scripture never says that. Now, there are cases in the Bible where it does say God was closing up the womb. Not here. It was just a natural trial. It was just something that God came along, said, I, I promise I'm going to overrule this at a point in the future. But how her perspective has changed, she now sees God as the one standing in the way of His promise being fulfilled. And in your heart, when you're wait, as you're waiting for God to do something, have you started to begin to blame God for the delay? Oh, He's the one who's holding out. He's the one who's standing in the way. And has your heart truly begun to turn against the Lord as if He's withholding from you what He has promised to give? She thought it was God's fault, so she begins to blame Him. Problem two, then we begin to try quick fixes. Quick fixes. I need to get out of this right now. Right now, I've got an idea. Here's what I'm going to do. Now, some scholars will say, oh, well, what Sarah and Abram did, it was kind of customary for the time. And I don't know if it was sinful. It was more like you could go that way if your wife couldn't have a baby. All right, but listen, it was sin. This is not a God-endorsed idea, okay? It was a sinful solution to a faith problem. Hey, just wait. Don't blame God. Don't try quick fixes. And number three, we begin to take control. We begin to take control. Sarah was out of control. She's out of control with, with her plan, with her reaction to the plan. I mean, listen to what she's doing. She's, Just take another wife. Get her pregnant. Why'd you get her pregnant? You shouldn't have got her pregnant. Abraham is just like, stand back. She's on a rampage. She, like somebody should have gone to her and said, listen, honey are going to be reading about this for 4,000 years. Calm down. They swing in the broom and the pets are getting out of the way and the servants are getting out of the way. She is out of control. Why? Because she's not waiting. She won't wait any longer. Right? You've been there? You've been there. I've been there. That's it. I've, I've, I've 
waited the allotment of time that I think I should have waited, but now it's time for me to take control. Because God is evidently not going to do anything. So now I... You've been there. You've been there. Is this how you react? Are you Sarah like, nice, sweet, peaceful, compliant, until she feels like time is up, and then stand back? Is that you? I think of the men in the room. What, what's happening here is Abraham is not being the spiritual leader in his household. He's letting his wife's restlessness and faithlessness get the better of him and her. He's letting her emotions be the wind in the sail for where the family goes. And what we're seeing here is that the weight test brings to the surface sin that is lying dormant in the heart. See, see, maybe if God had just done it right away, then they wouldn't have reacted this way. And their agitation is understandable. Think about it. Abraham was 75 when God appeared to him and said, hey, it's going to be great. Follow me. I'm going to give you a child. In fact, a whole nation's going to come from you. From that nation, there's going to be a special offspring. Through that offspring, there's going to be a blessing that is for the whole world. This is the promise of Christ. God could have just, boom, pregnant. But here at this point in time, 10 years has gone by. And Abraham ain't getting any younger. He's 85 years old. Wow. They're getting antsy. Feels like forever ago. And what Sarah wanted is what God had promised. Her desire wasn't wrong. Hey, check this picture out. This is what Sarah wanted. She wanted one of, one of those. Aww. That's just what I want. I just want to hold a baby in my arms she wanted was not bad. It's the way she was going about getting it that made her crazy. Hey, just wait or things will get far worse. You'll begin to blame God. You'll begin to try quick fixes. You'll begin to take control. And God allowed the relationships to blow up. He allowed this to become hard. But you have to understand that God is going to make people wait. Even if you've done nothing wrong, He's going to keep you waiting. Right? Who's Who's waited for things in the Scripture? Well, Paul got thrown in the slammer and he had to wait for years to get out, right? The Israelites had to wait 40 days for Moses to come back down. They didn't know how to handle that, right? And, and Jesus himself, what would it be like if you had the power to save people and deliver them into heaven and Jesus woke up and his family members didn't even believe him? He had to wait decades for his loved ones and then his brothers finally, after he rose from the dead, got converted. How, what, the, what agony for the Savior of the world to see his own family not saved. And he had to wait until after the resurrection to see that. Jesus had to wait. Paul had to wait. The Israelites had to wait. You're going to have to wait. God will make you wait. You're waiting right now. Maybe you're waiting for God to, to save a loved one in your family, and it's been a long time. Maybe you've lost hope for your loved ones, but God hasn't. Maybe you're waiting for God to piece back together a broken relationship. I fell down on the ground like pottery and you can't, you don't even know where to start gluing. And you're waiting for God to put it back together. We're waiting as a church family for God to provide a facility, which is why we're here. You like it here? We don't have our own home. We're renters, right? Uh, 
And don't think because I'm a pastor God gives me any special favors, okay? When we were planting this church, Lauren and I owned a home out by Wheaton and we put it on the market by faith, prayed with our launch team to sell it, fasted, right? Heard stories of people who were like, I didn't even have to list my house. I just talked about it and someone put a note in my mailbox. I'll take it. And I was like, that's going to be us. And God's like, no, you're going to wait. We still own it. We rent it out. We rent out the the house we're in now. We're still waiting three years now, going on four, for God to answer that prayer. Uh, You're waiting for things. And, And it's not because you did anything wrong, but you have to learn to wait. We have to learn to wait patiently as God's promises unfold in our lives. We have to learn. Because if we don't, things are going to get far worse. We're waiting for a lot of things, right? We're waiting for the economy to get better. We're waiting for the housing market to rebound. In Illinois, we're waiting for politicians to find the book of the law in a dusty corner of the Capitol building, right? You're going to be waiting forever for that one. What's going on? There's so much that we're waiting for. But we have to learn to wait because if we don't, things are going to get far worse. That's the first thing we observe in Abraham and Sarah's life. There's a second thing. We're going to spend more time on points one and two. Points three and four will come more quickly. The second point we find in Genesis 17, verse 1. Check out 17, verse 1. It says in 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old. Ooh, okay. So we just read 10 years had passed in the last passage, right? So 75 when he called, 85 when they did the little... Let's have this child illegitimately, right? So that was Ishmael that was born. He was 80, uh, 85 years old. Now another 14 years just went by. So like they weren't even at the halfway point when they were all freaking out and having Ishmael. They weren't even halfway there. But now, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, so this 24 total years had passed since God showed up. Where were you 24 years ago? How many of you weren't even born 24 years ago? Raise up your hand. <laughs> That's funny. I was 10. Like 10. I don't remember anything from when I was 10. If God showed up and made some promise, I'd just be like, what? I don't remember it. 24 years had gone by. Abram was 99 years old. Everybody say he was old. Do you know a 99-year-old? Yeah? They're old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, listen carefully what God says to him, I am, let me give you a brush up in who I am. I am God Almighty. That's, that's El Shaddai, the name of God associated with power and particularly the provision of offspring. Have you forgotten who I am? I'm still him 25 years later. I haven't changed I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Walk before me. That phrase can be used of a faithful servant showing devotion to his king. It's the quality of relationship God is looking for. Then he says, be blameless. This is a good one. Okay, because last week, after Abraham got back from Egypt, right, where he... Let his wife be taken by another man because he was scared to death that they would kill him. What did God say? He said, fear not. And now, after this whole escapade where, you know, I'll have another baby with this other woman, what does God say? Be 
blameless. Does God know just what to say to get straight to the heart of the issue or what? Be blameless. Noah was called blameless back in chapter 6. It means faultless. It means unblemished. And you wonder if Abraham was struggling as the Lord appeared with shame, with guilt for what he had done. I shouldn't have done that. I don't know why I did that. Hey, hey, walk before me. Hey, I'm powerful and I can provide. Hey, be blameless. And then in verse 17, it says this. 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Okay, I want you to play the part of Abraham in verse 17, so I'm going to read that again, and when you get to your part, you'll know what to do. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. God shows up, says it, Abraham falls down. He probably didn't think this through. Like, you should think it through in advance so that if God does appear to you one day, you know in advance what you're going to do, okay? Because falling down and being... <laughs> That's probably not what he intended to do. But here's what we learned from his example. Hey, just wait, write this down, even when it seems laughable. It was almost unintentional that he reacted this way. Hey, just laugh, just wait, even when it seems laughable. And God says here, I will give you a son. Wow. So God didn't really need the 3D ultrasound machine. He already had the gender known in advance and picked out. He even named the child Isaac, which means he laughs. Isn't that kind of humorous? You want to laugh, huh? Okay, let's remember that moment forever. We're going to call him He Laughs. Just wait even when it seems laughable. Okay, why? We'll check out 17.21. 17.21 it says, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Next year. He finally gives him the deadline. Here's when it's going to happen. And then look at chapter 18, verse 11. Chapter 18, verse 11, Sarah finds out. She's kind of, in, she's kind of behind a tent. So Abraham doesn't really see where she's at. But it says in verse 11 of chapter 18, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. Which means she's no longer menstruating. She can't even get pregnant if she wanted to naturally. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? I love verse 14. Hey, you should underline verse 14 in your Bible. You, you, you should also reach over and underline it in the person next to you's Bible because everyone should have this verse underlined. It says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hey, jot this down. Just wait, even when it seems laughable. Write this down. Because this is really, really, really easy to God. Whatever you're waiting for, however long you've been waiting, it's really, really, really easy to God. It says in verse 14, At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
But, but Sarah denied it, meaning saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. All right, if you're going to lie, never do it when God is standing in front of you, okay? Because you're never going to fool him. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't me. He said, no, but you did laugh. But this is fascinating because this is so big. God's right there. She's still having a hard time with this. One year, son. She's like, now? Me? Why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. No, you did. Here's what you learn about your God. You see, when he makes a promise to you, and you hear it either from a spoken message or as you read it in the scripture, your reaction to that moment is something God sees. He sees right into your heart. You may not be like, <laughs> but in your heart you may be like, yeah, not in my life. And he looks inside and he sees that. What? You don't believe that? Why don't, why don't you believe that? There, there was a dog recently who had a problem. The family dog, they didn't know what was wrong with him, but he just wasn't himself. This is the dog. and Isn't he a cute dog? You like it? Black lab? Yeah. He, they, didn't, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him, so they took him to the vet because they needed to look inside and see if he had accidentally, you know. And here's the picture of the x-ray. <laughs> problem solved! No more eating toy cars, little puppy. Once they got that out of there, right, then... But, you know, what the x-ray is to the body, God's got that technology. He can see straight into your soul. And when you hear a promise that applies to your life, he's very concerned to see that there's faith in your heart as a response to his promise. Could you say this is really, really, really easy to God? Are you willing to say, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Listen, say that over your problem. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Listen, say that over your paycheck. Listen, say that over your future. Say that over your marriage. Say that over your grown children. Say that over your lost loved ones. Hey, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And then believe it. Because there's a one-to-one correspondence between the faith God sees in you and the blessings that God gives to you. Show me that in the Scripture. All right, what did Jesus say? According to your faith, will it be done to you? When Jesus got to his hometown, he's got the power to do anything. He's like, oh, I, I can't do much here. What? Why? Why? Because of their lack of faith. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? If, if your thing in your heart gets put in the category of, yeah, God couldn't, he wouldn't, he hasn't. That's not faith. He, this is really, really, really easy to God. Just wait or things will get worse. Wait even when it seems laughable. And jot this down. Wait because the process is God's way of revealing himself. The process is God's way of revealing himself. You know, this is interesting. The, the New Testament gives both Abraham and Sarah high marks. A+. Plus. Does this surprise you? Them? Them? What? Because, because at the base of it all, God looked in, fundamentally saw that they believed what they heard. They believed the promise they heard, and he came back to report to us in the New Testament they had genuine faith. Well, then how do we explain all the things that they're doing if they really believe? How do I explain the things I do when I'm being a bonehead and a, 
and I, I'm lacking faith, and is God going to turn on me? This gives us hope, right? Here's the thing. There's a tension between faith in the promise, which they had, and faith in the process, which they were lacking. And in your life, maybe overall, oh yeah, of course I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Of course I believe He's going to come back for me. Of course I believe He's going to redo the entire universe one day in the future and I'm going to live forever a million years from now. I'm going to be singing praises to Him. I believe all that. But can He get me a job? Can He find me a spouse? Well, will He provide this month? And sometimes we find it easier to believe the bigger impossibilities and we struggle with the lesser. Isn't that true? I already believe he raised the dead, but can he do this too? It's, it's the promise that we believe right away, but it's the process that God uses over time to grow our faith. And the process is God's way of revealing himself to us. Hey, there's four things that are true of any trial God's put you in. If you're waiting... You can jot these down. There's four things that are true. Why is he making me wait? Why does he just do it? Because better things are going to happen over time than would have happened in an instant. Well, here's four things guaranteed to happen. The first is this. I will know God better. I will know God better because he made me wait. The second one is this. I will serve God better. Because I've been through this, I will be better qualified to serve God. I'll know Him better. I'll serve Him better. The third one is I will trust Him more. I will trust Him more. And the fourth one is I will love Him more. Sometimes we think, God had just done it in an instant. Lord, just heal me. Just have the mailman knock on the door and give me the end. Just do it now. And, and we assume that that would be better than what he's planning to do. Don't we? All right, fine, I'll go with plan B. You have to believe that he's making you wait because it's a superior plan than the instant plan. Better plan. And if you don't believe that, then you're going to think your quick fix is the way to go. Hey, we have to learn to wait patiently as God's promises unfold in our life. Just wait or things will get far worse. Just wait even when things seem laughable. And, and then finally, you see God's faithfulness. Turn to chapter 21, verse 1. Chapter 21, verse 1. It finally, finally, finally happens. Chapter 21, verse 1 says this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and... I just told you that a 90-year-old woman got pregnant. You didn't even react. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised him, his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? 
And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. Hey, just wait, because God will keep his promises. Did you write that down? Just wait, because God will keep his promises. This is, this is the feast of finally. This is the laughter of unbelief replaced by the laughter of joyful amazement. And these are the sweet times when God brings a deep, long, enduring request to fulfillment. This is after 20, 30, 40 years of waiting. God proves faithful. We have to understand that God is the star of the show here, okay? Do you understand that God made the announcement that it's one year away? You think that because Abraham knew it was a year away, he stopped being a bonehead? No! Between that point and the birth, he, he gave his wife away to another man. Again he did it. And, and God had to show up in a dream to this guy and say, let her go or I'm going to kill you. And this guy came to Abraham and said, take your wife and get out of here right now. God just told me he was going to kill me. Get out of here. This is after God told him when he was going to keep his promise. Do you know that we're supposed to notice that Abraham and Sarah don't have an impressive moral performance? Do you know we're supposed to catch that? We're supposed to look at Abraham and Sarah and be like, oh. And that's true of all these Old Testament Bible people we're studying. Moses, even Noah, if you read after the ark, you know, you're supposed to look and be like, oh. But then you're supposed to read what God did and you're supposed to be like, wow. Wow. You're so faithful even when I lack faith. Just wait because God will keep his promises. The Apostle Paul, when he was standing on a sinking ship in the book of Acts and had no hope of being rescued, there had been days, they had no food, they had no, there was no hope. They were drifting at sea. But God found the ship, showed up, and said, I'm going to save you and everyone on this ship. Paul got up and made an announcement to the crew. Here's what he said. Let's read this together. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Hey, can you say that right now as you're waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in your life? Can you say in the quiet of your own heart, I have faith that it will be to me exactly as I have been told. Even if you feel like you're standing in the dark on a ship that's going down and there's no hope, you can't even see how you can make it safely to shore, but can you say, I have faith, it will be to me exactly as I have been told. Can you say that? Because if you say that in your heart, God sees it. And if you doubt it, He sees it. And after 25 years, Abraham and Sarah could say, hey, just wait. Because God keeps His promises. They would say we should have just waited patiently. That's what they would say. Hey, just wait or things will get far worse. Just wait even when it seems laughable. Just wait because God will keep His promises. And here's the last one. Just wait because soon the wait will be over. Soon the wait will be over. And we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews for this last one. Hebrews chapter 11, go ahead and turn there right now. Remember, our Old Testament study is being guided by this Hebrews chapter 11. 
And what we're going to do right now is hear from the author of Hebrews what he summarizes from this whole story from Abraham. So check out the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 11. And as you turn there, know that all of these people who we've studied so far, Enoch, Cain and Abel, so far we've studied Noah, the author is now going to take what we've seen in their lives and he's going to lift our eyes up and make a summary of what we're viewing. So in Hebrews 11.11 it says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand beyond the seashore. Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, there would have been opportunity to return. But as it is... They desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. What's going on here? This is is awesome. You see, the Bible is taking their faith in the moment and showing us how that proves their faith in the great promises of God. They were looking forward to a heavenly home, a city that God had prepared for them. Do you know why God makes you wait? Why does He make me wait? He could just do it right away. What's with the wait? He could just do it and get it over with. Wait, wait, wait. It's because God wants to send wave after wave after wave of His faithfulness into your life while you wait for the big promise to be fulfilled. This whole cycle of I promised, you'll wait, I'm faithful. I promised, you'll wait again, I'm faithful. Is his way of sustaining us, while we understand he promised that Christ would return and we would be with him forever, we're waiting now and it's going to happen. Hey, that's a good spot for an amen. I'll say that again. Hey, Hey, he promised that Christ would come back. Here we are waiting now, but it's going to happen. But how is he going to keep you with proper perspective between now and then? It's the little weights that enable you to stay in the big weight. And the wait is soon going to be over. The Bible uses the word soon. Soon it's all over. Either you die or the trumpet sounds. And then no more waiting. All the waiting's done. But in the meantime, God's plan to keep you faithfully moving forward, learning more about Him, seeing His Word fulfilled in your life, takes waiting. Just wait because soon the wait is going to be over and God will prove faithful. Check out this picture again that I showed you at the beginning. 70 million people waiting. Waiting for what? Well, We disagree with them on how to find spiritual liberation. They think they'll find it in a river. Okay, so we don't have that in common with them. But this is a really good picture that shows how God's people are waiting for our Savior to return. You see, we're waiting for our spiritual liberation to be completed. Yeah, we've been saved by faith through grace. We've been washed of all of our sins. 
But when Christ comes back, our salvation is perfected. We're given a body that will never get old or die. And we'll be able to be with Him face to face forever. Our faith becomes sight. But, but until then, this is a really good picture of where you're at. And it could be a long wait. It could be a short wait, amen? But it's a wait. And so the trial of waiting is something that a believer will not escape in this life. We're there, perpetually in that line, waiting for Christ to come. But God will time and again come through for you to prove to you that once and for all, in the end, He will keep His eternal promises. I want to leave you with Psalm 27, 14, which says this, Be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and attach that promise, that psalm, that faith to your individual need. Father in heaven, we understand that you are good. and We understand that you will allow us to be tested as we wait for your promises to unfold in our lives. But you've said, be strong and take heart and wait. So Lord, faithfully, in the quiet places of our own heart, which you see with your own eyes, whatever it is that we're waiting for, whatever it is that we're trusting you for, however long we've waited, however painful it feels, right here and right now we say by faith, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard? If you've called us to wait in the smaller things so that our faith will grow in the eternal things. May we trust your plan is perfect. Your timing is perfect. Your word is perfect. Help us to wait in Jesus' name.